Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you're here in this Christmas season. We've been in a series that you just saw introduced in that video called The Gift. And we've been talking about these last few weeks the idea that the real gift, of course, at Christmas is not a new bike or a bracelet or a watch or some piece of Apple gear. (laughs) It's God himself. He is the gift. But we are seven days from Christmas. Seven days. I'm so excited. There's a little boy inside of me that just can't wait for all of the bracelets and watches and apple gear and everything else. I just got to admit that I'm pretty excited about that stack of gifts that's already starting to grow underneath our Christmas tree. One gift that was about this big just went under the tree last night. I checked. It was for me. Holly was carrying it over, and now I'm just excited to find what's in that box. I just want to know. Seven days. Now, we've got seven days to figure out how to give a good gift. You got seven days. You know, what makes a gift a good gift? Have you thought about that? Have you noticed that sometimes you know when it's a good gift for you and when it's a bad gift for you, but the person giving it just didn't seem to realize? We know what's a good gift for us, but maybe what if we're on the other end of it and don't even realize it? They're saying nice things like, oh, that's nice wrapping paper. Isn't that so beautiful? You took so much time. Thank you so much. That means that wasn't a good gift. They talk about the wrapping paper the whole time. We're in trouble, right? Maybe we can get to an understanding of good gifts by talking about bad gifts. The quintessential bad Christmas gift was made fun of in the Far Side cartoon some years ago. The scene in the cartoon is the stable. In the door of the stable, light coming out of it is an angel with an angry look on its face and a finger pointing, sending a man away. In the forefront of the cartoon is a wise man moving towards the front with his head hanging low in a box in front of them, all dejected. And the caption says, there's a fourth wise man unknown to most theologians because he was turned away at the stable when he tried to give a fruitcake. There it is, the quintessential bad Christmas gift. Johnny Carson said, I think there's only one fruitcake in existence in the world. We just keep all sending it to each other. It's that gift that never runs out because apparently it will last a very long time. Invented by the Roman army, by the way, to keep their troops fueled afar. They could carry it with them and it wouldn't go bad. Rutherford B. Hayes made a fruitcake in the 1800s. They just recently tested. It's still edible to this day. You won't get sick. That's an actual fact, which I don't know if that encourages you or discourages you if you are in face-to-face with the fruitcake this holiday. Why? Why don't we think that's a good Christmas gift? It was real popular in the 1950s, filled the mail rooms all over the country because when shipping took two weeks back then to get to your loved one across the country, it, it would stay good. It's not so popular now. Why is it a bad Christmas gift? Well, when you survey the American population, only 11% of us actually like fruitcake at 
all. If you ask us if we love fruitcake and would put it on our Christmas wish list, the number goes all the way down to the floor. So low that if you surveyed both services, all of our congregations, everything under the Bethel umbrella, in Dixon and Murfreesboro, Clarksville, Brentwood, if you gathered all of us together, you might get five people total who really truly love fruitcake and would be excited if it showed up under the tree. In other words, if you don't know what someone wants for Christmas and you just think, I'm going to throw a dart at the wall and take a guess, why would you guess fruitcake? (laughs) Now, if they ask for it and they love it, well, then by all means, give those five people a fruitcake. But if they didn't, it shows you don't know something about them and you didn't care enough to even think what might be a likely guess. Okay, that reveals something about what a good gift is. Can I share three things about a good gift? Three things here. What makes a gift a good gift? It sends these three messages. I understand what you want. I care enough to get it for you, and I'm willing to pay the cost. I understand what you want, I care enough to get it, and I'm willing to pay the cost. When a gift actually communicates those messages, the gift is in a way not the gift, it's what the gift communicates. It communicates to that person the depth and extent of our love for them. And when, if you've only just even opened two or three gifts when you're with a friend or two or a family gathering or extended family gathering, you get open up two or three gifts. If you start out secure in yourself, by the way, can I just give us a little word before Christmas comes? Don't wait for Christmas to make you feel secure yourself. No, you're going to be disappointed even if there's 20 gifts for you under the tree with nice labels on it. It won't fill you up. But if you're secure and you get that message a few times and all the, pest, but all the packages are unwrapped and the paper, do you get to that point where you say, man, that's as good as it can possibly get? What a great Christmas. And then someone says, no, 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 no. I got one more gift for you. I just couldn't fit it under the tree. Don't you get excited when that happens? That means there's something even better. You can't believe it. Christmas was already better than you thought it would be and something else is coming. That's how I feel about this series. We've been talking about Jesus all this time and Jesus is such a good gift. How could you get something better? How could you imagine? Now, if you're a really Christian, you're probably thinking, how's he gonna get better than Jesus? I don't know if this guy's really a Christian if he's saying something's coming that might be better than Jesus. Hold on a second. Well, let me first talk about what a good gift Jesus is. Let me give you the first thing for this sermon. If you haven't taken notes yet, this is one. Jesus shows us that God understands, cares enough, and is willing to pay any cost for us. Up to death, suffering, bleeding, torture, humiliation, Uh, the infinite God, the eternal God come in the flesh in a dirty manger we just sang about. We've been talking about that for two weeks, that God himself loves us so much, he would do anything to get us. He loves us desperately, passionately, sacrificially, so he comes in the flesh to become forever one of us. He's resurrected human, fully human, fully divine, for all eternity. 
That is mind-blowingly good. My sins forgiven, my past wiped away, the blood of Jesus Christ forgiving, anything and everything I've ever done, an eternity full of every desire being met, every hour of every day unending. That's a pretty good gift. And then Jesus says to his disciples after the resurrection is sort of settling into their mind and eternity is settling into their mind, he says, go to Jerusalem, wait. Go to the house. Wait, I've got another gift I want to bring you. You see, one of the things that makes a good gift a really good gift is the element of surprise. Today we're going to talk about the unexpected gift. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you're not already there, some of you know where we're headed because I saw it dawn on you right then when we said what Jesus promised them. Acts chapter 2 reads this way. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Try to hear it. Try to sense it. Try to see it as I read it. A sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together. They were bewildered, they're astonished, they're surprised, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, because that's the language they were speaking, even though they didn't know it the day before. A miracle is occurring, verse 7, and they were amazed, astonished. You hear the surprise, the unexpected nature, saying, are not all of those speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now listen to the lists of the nations here. Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, even visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, those are non-Jews who are following the Jewish God, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues, in our own heart language, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed, surprised, shocked. This is unexpected. They're perplexed, saying to one another, what in the world does this mean? And those who seem to have little faith make an accusation, mocking, saying maybe they're just filled with new wine, a.k.a. drunk, early in the morning. And that's actually not a strange accusation since in scripture it says don't get drunk in wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit, a better joy, a better ecstatic feeling, a better just passionate release of things comes with the Spirit than wine could ever bring. But this unexpected gift is the Spirit of God. So here's a key conclusion. The most unexpected gift is not a savior who died and rose, but a spirit who descended and stayed. That's the most unexpected 
surprising gift of all. When you think Christmas couldn't get any better, when you're worshiping at the manger, when you're celebrating with the shepherds, when you're singing with all of heaven, rupturing the skies in glory and light, you don't think it could get any better than we hear about the spirit of God. I'd like to unwrap that gift a little bit today. Will you let me? Okay, three ways the gift of the Spirit is unexpected. Number one, the Spirit gives us God with us and within us. You see, at Christmas time, we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Do you know that name, Emmanuel? Which in Hebrew literally means M with Manu, us, El, God. God with us, or with us is God, depending on how you want to flip things around to make them sound like good English. God with us, that's the name of Jesus. When God comes in the flesh of Jesus Christ, it's not just a human being who's a good teacher, a moral teacher, an ethical uh, exemplar. No, he's more than that. He says he's more than that. He is Lord. He's God himself. He's both son of man and son of God. He comes in the flesh. That's God with us. He comes. He dies. He's resurrected. He stays with the disciples some days and then he's gone. Because he's in a limited physical human body, he comes and he goes. And even after he's resurrected, he's able to sort of disappear and reappear through walls and on the shore and all kinds of crazy places on the Emmaus Road. And then he's gone again, poof, 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 poof. <laughs> Magical Jesus going here and there. But he's only one place at one time. And when he's there for a time, he's then gone. God with us. But when the spirit comes, the counselor he's promised, the other gift he said, no, there's more I have to give. Go wait in the house. I'm going to bring it to you. It is God within us. So the spirit of Christ is given at Pentecost, and it says here that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the metaphors for the Holy Spirit all through the Old Testament are external. Anoint you with oil, pour oil over your head, and it flows down, and it glistens, and, and, and you're no longer ashy. You know, it just it gets you all kind of moisturized, right? But it's, it's more than that. It is a sign of the glowing presence of God, the glory of God, the health of God, the healing of God, but it's external. When the Spirit came upon people and they would begin to prophesy, like King Saul, the Spirit comes upon him, he prophesies for a time, then the Spirit goes. Or Samson, power comes upon him, he is empowered by the Spirit as the Spirit comes upon him, not within him, upon him, and he is empowered and then it goes. But this coming of the Spirit is a fracturing of human history into two, where it was a Spirit that comes for a while and then is gone. Now because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the Spirit can dwell within us forever. The Holy Spirit can dwell within us at all times and never leaves. And then it's not a voice from outside, it's a whisper from within. Then it's not a presence from beyond, it is a person in here speaking from without so that even my own thoughts begin to shift to align with him and I can recognize, oh, that was me, oh, that was him, that doesn't sound like me. And then I can start to have all of those things I never knew I even wished for but I deeply wanted. 
See, God sees beneath our wishes to our wants. And when he gives a gift, he doesn't just give us what we wish for that ends up empty in the end. Next year, the new tech is old. Next year, the brand new car is worn down. Next year, the clothing is out of style. Next year, we want to do Christmas again because last Christmas wore out. But when God gives a gift, it gets beneath the wishes to the deep and eternal unending wants of our hearts. And so because he never leaves, we never have to be lonely because we're never alone. All we have to do is take three minutes and breathe. Breathe in and remember that he's there. Hold on to his presence. Breathe out our anxieties to him and breathe in again. And there's the spirit of God in our breath. All we have to do is turn and listen. And his voice begins to speak to us. We're not alone in the dark. We're not alone in the house. We're not alone in the car. We're not alone at work. We're not alone in a broken marriage. We're not alone in our friendships. We're not alone when we walk in the street. We're not alone when we go into the places of worship. We're never, ever, ever, ever alone. Don't you want to enjoy that gift? It's a really good gift. The question I have is, have you received that gift? And if one day, some time ago, you did, have you stopped enjoying it? Did you put it up on the shelf in the closet in the bedroom of your spiritual life? And you know you had it, but you're not enjoying it day in and day out? It's not just God with us. It's God within us. The second thing as we unwrap this present, this unexpected present, is the Spirit gives us freedom from guilt and freedom to live. Freedom from guilt because the Spirit comes and speaks a word of grace that only Christ has accomplished through his blood. Jesus has given us forgiveness of sins. And so the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And that Spirit within us gives us assurance, confidence, security when we might be insecure or start to accuse ourselves even if no one else does. The Spirit speaks a word against that and says, no, that is under the blood. No, that has been taken care of. An unending eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ has already been made. You can't see him right now, but I'm here right now to testify to it. So the Spirit gives us freedom from guilt, but also gives us freedom to live. If we are free from guilt, but just keep sinning the same way over and over again, then we keep receiving the same paycheck over and over again. Romans tells us the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is, So the wages, the paycheck of sin is death, not just physical death. Most sins actually lead to a destruction of the body slowly over time. Even bitterness, which seems so hidden and secret, we now know leads to cancer. So most sin leads to a destruction of the body. But even if we don't see it in the decaying of our person, it will come at the end of time in the destruction of our souls. It's not just physical death, but spiritual death that faces us. Right? We don't want to be just free from guilt. We want to be free to live. We want that gift of eternal life that begins not just someday, but right now, so that we can taste heaven on earth, so that we can taste eternity now, so that we don't have to stay in a cycle of sin, guilt, sin, guilt, sin, guilt. Uh, the Spirit comes in many different ways. Often it seems to come with a verbal sign, but the, the 
tongue of fire coming over their heads symbolizes the burning, all-consuming fire of God that is a Holy Spirit and will consume anything that isn't of him. Sometimes we speak in tongues, sometimes it's prophetic utterances, sometimes it's testifying boldly, almost always verbal in scripture, I see. But it also says later on, does everyone speak in tongues? Some assumed answer is no. Does everyone prophesy? Assumed answer is no. But seek these greater gifts. And one of those gifts is a freedom to live in a holy, righteous way by keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the sign of that spirit coming upon you is an act of deliverance. It shakes you physically in your way and you say, what is going on with me? Am I becoming one of those crazy people? Watched a video this last week of a bunch of people celebrating, don't be like this. I'm not saying all of this is wrong, but it went a little wild. They were running up and down the aisles and all kinds of crazy things and swinging their jackets over their head. And one guy got so excited, he ran up to behind the preacher and jumped into the baptismal pool and started swimming around in the pool. And they came out soaking wet and ran up and down the aisle again. I thought, okay, that's a little wild. That's, that's a spirit of distraction, not a spirit of demonstration. I'm just going to say, we crossed the line somewhere in there. You and I can debate where it was, but we both agree he crossed the line somewhere in there. <laughs> sometimes, though, it's not those sort of crazy, wacko things. It's something happens inside of you, and you know you're free of something you were never free of before. I've watched alcoholics go find every hidden bottle of booze in their house, in their, in their car, in the golf cart, upstairs, in the closet, everywhere, dumping it down a drain. And they're still clean today. I've watched drug addicts crushing it up or burning it up and throwing it away, doing everything they can. All of a sudden, some get so nauseated by the sin that they've been a part of, they start throwing up as a sign that they're now nauseated by the thing that they, they, once, they once loved and chased. It was a wish they thought would fulfill, but always left them empty. But now they have no taste for it because the Spirit has come. And when the Spirit comes, it sets you free. So the question is, do you have that gift? Have you unwrapped it? If you had it at one point, have you just tucked it away in a private prayer closet? Or is it your every moment, every hour, every day enjoyment? Third thing the Spirit uh, gives us in unexpected ways is the spirit ignites passion and unites people. Yes, it is a tongue of flame and it does ignite a passion in the disciples. The disciples who were shaking in their boots just a few hours ago with locked doors running away from anybody who might make fun of them or persecute them or I don't know, crucify them. They were shaking in their booths just a few hours ago. Now they step wide out into the open public and start testifying and saying, you crucified them, you did it. I mean, it was you, right? So they are ignited with passion and they do begin to testify boldly, but something else begins to happen that's really astonishing all the way through the book of Acts. When the spirit comes, it unites. Pay attention to what happened in Acts chapter 2. People speaking all kinds of different languages from all over every nation gathered together. Then the spirit comes. Wonder why? Probably a coincidence. Unless you read on in the book of Acts and notice every time it talks about the spirit falling again. Look in chapter 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, that's a group of people who are mixed race, part Jew, part not, the people in Samaria had received the word of God, 
They sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. So they were saved. They'd given their lives to Christ. They'd been baptized in the water, but they hadn't had the Spirit come upon them. Uh, And so they went to lay hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting to me that over and over again, when the Spirit comes, it comes with a laying on of hands. Don't think you can receive the Spirit by waving your hanky at the TV or something, or by sitting back in your seat saying, I wish I could get that gift, and then walking away. It comes with the laying on of hands. I wonder why. These Jews have to go up and lay hands on mixed-race Samaritans who they considered unclean. They had to get close to them, and then they had to touch them. People whom they wouldn't even take a glass and drink after, after it had been washed before, When the Spirit came upon them, they went up and got close to and laid hands on people that no other Jew would touch or associate with. People would go days journey around Samaria. It was like a massive bypass. (laughs) So they could skip that part of the country. Don't go in there until the Spirit came on them and they went straight for it. The Spirit seems to unite. Well, that's only two examples, Dave. It's probably just in your mind. Well, then turn to Acts chapter 10. In verse 25, Peter returned, entered, and Cornelius met with him. Cornelius is a Gentile, a non-Jew. Fell down at his feet and worshiped him, but Peter lifted him up, physically touched a Gentile saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, notice he says, I too am a man. You're human, I humanize you, I'm human, you humanize me. We see each other as equals. I lift you up to equality with me when no one else would do that. And as he talked, many persons were gathered around him, also not Jew, and he said to them, you yourselves know, listen, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit anyone of another nation. They had turned uh, the, the scriptures into a divisive, racist, prejudiced thing. What was originally intended to keep them from losing their faith, but welcoming people in, had turned into something that was segregating and dividing and creating prejudice within them. He says, but now God's revealed it to me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And verse 44, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The Spirit of God, when it truly comes, doesn't just ignite passion. I've met a lot of passionate racists who then speak Jesus' name. And I don't know what spirit they have, but it is not the Spirit of Christ. I've met a lot of passionate sexists who want to claim Jesus' name, but I don't know what spirit they have. This is the man who said to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. This is the man who stood by the woman at the well and said, I will have a conversation with you. This is the man who said to Mary, breaking perfume over his feet, she has done something beautiful for me. I don't know what spirit they have, but they don't have the spirit of Christ when one thing is sexist and the next thing is praise Jesus. Whether it's gender or race or age, I know a lot of elderly who have no use for the young and a lot of young who have no use for the elderly, but that's not God's spirit. He will return the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. That's what his spirit does. He unites what's been divided every time he shows up. That's the real meaning, really, of these verses on the walls. This is an important truth for me for Bethel. This is not just a place where we pray for every nation. 
this is a place for every nation to pray. Of course we do pray for every nation, but not as though we just pray here for every nation and and the nations don't come here, don't feel welcome here, it's not their house. No, this is a place where every nation comes to pray. When at times we worship in other languages, it's because we're practicing for heaven and we're re-enacting Pentecost. When we, when we dress in our cultural garb from time to time, it's a way of saying, we don't just embrace you on the surface, we embrace what is not seen. We embrace the culture, because color is not culture, and we know that here. And we want to embrace the deepest parts of who you are. We don't want this to be a place where you feel like a guest. This is a place that is your house, your spiritual family, your house of prayer the spirit doesn't just ignite it unites and that's why this isn't the most segregated hour in America not for Bethel for most of us this is the most integrated hour of the week and it glorifies God that's what his spirit always does William Seymour, one of my favorite figures in church history, um, was the one who was there at the Azusa Street Revival. African-American man who was taught by a white theologian that when the spirit comes, it fills our heart with love. A revival broke out in 1906 in Azusa Street that eventually became charismatic and Pentecostal movements. When that movement began to split and people were mistreating William Seymour, he came out with a statement that's pretty powerful to me. He said, I know that many people think the primary sign of the spirit is the speaking in tongues. No, I don't discard that, neither did he. But he said, I don't think that's the primary gift. That's easily faked. The primary sign that you've been filled with the spirit is racial reconciliation because you can't fake that. Just look at the five closest friendships in your life. And if there's nobody different than you in them, you're not fully unwrapping this gift. No condemnation for me, trust me, I'm not condemning you. I'm inviting you to unwrap the gift and enjoy the gift that is the spirit that unites us in ways that no other creed, no other philosophy, no other organization can ever do. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, one spirit. Would you put up those three things for me again just so that we can catch them at the end? These three ways the gift of the Spirit is unexpected. Just boom, boom, boom. Put them all up there. The Spirit gives us God with us and God within us. You don't ever have to be lonely again because you're never alone. The Spirit gives us freedom from guilt and freedom to live. You don't have to stay stuck in sin. He can break through. If you will open the door of your heart, He will give you freedom as long as you keep in step with Him and do everything He asks you to do. The Spirit ignites passion, gives us boldness to testify, but it pushes us across lines of difference and unites us with people we'd never be found with in any other space or place unless the Spirit took us there. And then while we're in the middle of it, we have more joy, so much joy, other people say, what's wrong with these folks? Are they drunk? No, they're just filled with the Spirit of God. They don't need to be drunk. Would you stand with me? I just want to ask you today, have you received that gift? 
It's too good a gift to leave unwrapped. It's too good a gift to walk out of Christmas morning from and not wait long enough for it to be delivered down the stairs. It's too good of a gift to set up on a shelf in a private space of your spiritual life and not enjoy out in the broad daylight. Ministry team, would you come? Would you bow your heads with me? If you know and you're honest with yourself that you have not received that gift or you've set that gift aside some years ago, I just want you to slip your hand up quick to the Lord and back down. I don't even have to see it. Every head bowed, nice closed. You just lift them up fast and back down. I see you. Yep, yep. Yeah, I see you, man. That was quick. That was very quick. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. Here's what I got to tell you. This is the bad news that comes right before the good news. You won't receive the Spirit of God without the laying on of hands. You won't get that gift in your seat. Just whispering in the privacy of your own heart. That's why I said, you can just do it quick. I don't need to see it. Because you're going to have to do something else if you really want that gift. You're going to have to have come and have someone lay hands on you. You can go to your life group leader and get another leader to pray with you. You can... Uh, Talk to the person who brought you. If you were a guest at church and ask them to pray for you, you can go to your parents and say, I'd like you to pray for me, but uh, why leave today without the gift when it's there for you? Ministers are down here ready to pray for you, and if you slipped your hand up into the air, I want to invite you, even while I'm praying here in just a second, to just make your way down. If you don't want to come alone, grab somebody, grab them by the arm, drag them down here. If you have somebody in your life that you know is filled with the Spirit and they're standing right by you, just ask them to pray for you. And then do it right there in your seat if you want to, or you can come down together. Nobody will know who's being prayed for. We pray down here every week. If you're new to Bethel, it's not unusual for us, even though I know it's a step of faith for you. So you come either as I pray or when we dismiss the service, the ministers will stay down here. You slip down as you're ready. Some are already coming. Even right now, you can sneak out of your seat and just walk down while every head is bowed and eyes closed. Nobody's staring at you. Come get someone to pray for you, even right now. If you don't have that gift, I'd hate for you to leave without unwrapping the most unexpected, surprising, astonishing, fulfilling gift of all human history. Lord, thank you so much for the work you're doing among us. Thank you for the gift you've given to us. We don't deserve this Holy Spirit. We are unholy unless you come and make us holy. And even as you make us holy, there's things we discover anew every year. We go, oh, I didn't even know that was there. Uh, consuming fire, burn it up in me until there's nothing left but you. Would you fill us, empower us, send us, and unite us as only your Holy Spirit can. In Jesus' name we pray.